Welcome to the Liberty Baptist Sermon Archives. The message you're about to hear was preached at Liberty Baptist Church in Easton, Massachusetts. You can find out more about us or contact us at mylibertybaptist.org or just look us up on Facebook. And now we hope that this message from God's Word will be a blessing to you. Well, we are in 2 Corinthians chapter number 5 here this morning. As we continue our series forward this year, we've been looking month by month at things that we're supposed to be moving forward in, in our Christian life. And well, this month we are looking at moving forward in service. And the month of July, of course, we took an aside last week for the 4th of July to talk about our nation and talk about our country and our responsibilities to our country. But at the same time, as we continue the month of July on Sunday morning, we're going to look at moving forward in service. Now, some of you might even be thinking, okay, pastor, here we go. It's one of those months where we talk about uh, what month, what ministries we're supposed to be serving in at the church, and you probably have some kind of sign-up sheet back there or something. You're going to want us to sing. You're going to want us to dance. You're going to want us to do something around here. And the answer is, I don't want to see any of you dance, first of all. But secondly, uh, I, what I'm saying is this is not about having you sign up for anything. No, no. Moving forward in service this month really is more about the underlying question, which is this, why should we serve others at all? And I really want us to think about that this month. It's not about signing up. It's not about sheets. It's not about ministries. That stuff will come. But I believe that's an outgrowth of the underlying principle of this. Why should we serve anybody at all? Because I don't know about you, but if I was to look at myself this morning in my flesh, I'm a pretty selfish creature. In my flesh, I mean, that part of me that Paul says there is no good thing. In my flesh, I love serving self. In fact, I could put it this way. It's all about me. It's about what I want and what I need and what I think is best in my flesh. But yet we understand that that propensity is within all of us if we're not careful. Well, why do I say that? Well, because the Bible tells us we're to treat other people better than we treat ourselves which means this, we treat ourselves pretty good. If that's the standard of which we're supposed to look at how we treat others, it's as if God's saying, I know you treat yourself good. You've got to treat other people better. You've got to look at being a servant to other people. And so this morning, I want to jump right into it. I don't have a long introduction. I don't have a funny story or a witty observation for you this morning. I really just want to get right into God's word today and look at what the Word of God says in a very powerful passage of Scripture in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 in a message that I've called Constrained by Love. Constrained by Love. And if I was to give the message a subtitle, which I usually don't, but if I was to give it another title, an alternate title, a subtitle, it would be this, Service That's Spurred by the Love of the Savior. Service that is spurred, moved forward by the love of the Savior. If you're able, would you stand with me for the reading of God's word? 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We'll begin in verse number 14. 2 Corinthians chapter number 5 and beginning in verse number 14. And if you need some help, uh, that's page 1874. Okay, that's probably not going to help you. Anyway, all right, moving on. For the love of Christ constraineth us. Because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead. And that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. Wherefore henceforth know we no man after the flesh. Yea, 
though we have known Christ after the flesh, yet now henceforth know we him no more. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And while verses 16 and 17 are just so wonderfully important to us, I want to spend most of our time focusing on verses 14 and 15. For the love of Christ constraineth us and all that's to follow. Lord, bless as we're in the word of God this morning. My mind is in many places today, but I want it to be on your word. I pray that you would just help me to say what needs to be said. And I pray specifically for anyone that's in this room that doesn't know you as Savior, that they would not leave in that same state. There is hope in the gospel. May that be made abundantly clear by your Holy Spirit this morning. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. you may be seated. As we look at our text this morning, we follow a progression that unfolds in these verses that we see here. And this progression shows us the motivation we have, the motivation we should have to be a servant. And first of all, in this progression, we see this. Number one, Jesus loved, and that's why he died. The first thing we have to see is that Jesus loved and that's why he died. We see in verse uh, number 14 that for the love of Christ, that's at the very beginning, the love of Christ. And then at the end of it, we see that one died for all. So at verse 14 at the beginning, the love of Christ. And near the end of that verse, one died for all. So we see there's this connection here. There's the love of Christ and that Christ died for all. And there's a few things about this verse that we need to remember. First of all, it's this. It was the love of Christ that put Christ on the cross, not the nails of wicked men. We must remind ourselves here this morning that it wasn't the fact that it was the Jews and the Romans uh, that entrapped Jesus and placed him on the cross because of the kangaroo court of the Sanhedrin and of Pilate and of Herod. No, that's not why Jesus was placed on the cross, because he was entrapped by these wicked governments and these wicked people. No, that's not it at all. That Jesus was held onto that cross, not by the nails that were there, but by the love that he had for you and me. That is why he was on the cross. Ephesians 3, 19. And to know the love of Christ, which passeth knowledge. Just think about that. The love of Christ passeth knowledge. The idea that you could consider the love of Christ your whole life and never arrived at the conclusion of what the love of Christ is. I mean, you want to talk about a brain teaser. There's one for you that you could dwell on the love of Christ your entire life and never get to the end of it. That's what Ephesians 3.19 says. How about Romans 5, or rather Romans 8.35 uh, through and 37, which says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? Verse 37, Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. There is nothing that could ever transpire in this world or in this life that could separate you from the love of Christ. We saw this morning, John 15, 13, which says, Greater love hath no man than this, than a man to lay down his life for his friends. And Jesus, of course, was speaking about what he was about to do on the cross. So we see that Jesus was put on the cross, not by the nails of wicked men, but by the love of which he had for mankind. By the way, the love for those same wicked men that were there when he was on the cross. And although you and I were not at the cross that day, we were represented, I believe, by those who were there because Jesus died for us on that day at Calvary. But it also, I see from this, is that the love of Christ 
caused him not just to die, but he died for all. For all. Not just for the elect and not just for certain people. First John 2, 2 says, And he is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. When Jesus was on the cross, he died not just for certain sins or for certain people's sins, but Jesus made atonement for all sins for all time there on the cross. Now listen, everyone still has to come to a personal decision to trust in the gospel message. We're not talking about universalism where everyone simply saved because of what Jesus did on the cross. No, that you and I, and we'll look at this in a second, must come to the conclusion that the gospel is true and must trust in the gospel message. But Jesus died on the cross so that all could believe in the gospel message and we could put it this way that the burden is not on him he did the work it's up to us not to do the work because he finished the work on Calvary that's why he said it's finished but for us to trust in the gospel message to repent of our sins and to call upon Jesus to save us because only he can but he loved us that's why he did it he loved us that's why he died that's what verse 14 says we could talk about Romans 5, 8, but God commendeth, he showed his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. A beautiful message. Imagine a mother who has a child with a debilitating illness. This mother spends sleepless nights caring for her child, providing comfort and tirelessly seeking medical help. She sacrifices her own desires and dreams to ensure her child's well-being. Her love knows no bounds and there's no limit to what she will do within her abilities for her child. If you're a parent and you have a child, you understand what that feeling is like. And you know that if you have a child that has a need, that you will do whatever you can do legally and morally to be able to help your child, no matter what the situation is. But in the same way, Jesus' love for us is this type of love. He sees us in our brokenness and sin. He willingly sacrificed himself on the cross to save us. His love is unconditional. It's selfless. It's all-encompassing. Just as that mother's love would bring healing and comfort to her child, Jesus' love brings forgiveness, redemption, and eternal life to all who believe in him. So what do we see first here? The, the principle that we see is that Jesus loved us, and that's why he died. He loved us, and that's why he died. But I also see this, number two. Oh, by the way, if you're not sure about this still, drop down to verse number 21. For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. It's a powerful verse, that he became sin for us. That's how much he loved us. But now getting to number two, we see not only did Jesus love, and that's why he died, but the next step in that progression is this. He died that we might live. We see that Jesus loved us, and that's why he died. But we also see that he died so that we might live. Look at verse number 15. It says, and that he died for all that they which live. Now, we'll just stop right there. And I don't like stopping reading a verse in the middle of the verse because we could twist it out of context if we're not careful. But I think it's important that we see, and that he died for all that they which live, meaning that there were some who accepted that salvation, he died for all, and that there are some who live. It wasn't just that he died for us to show self-sacrifice, although that's true. It's that his sacrifice was effective. Those are two different subjects because you can have a sacrifice that's made and you can honor that sacrifice, but yet it may not be effective. 
Let's talk about that mother there for a second that sacrifices all for her child. It could be that she sacrifices every bit of money, that she sacrifices every bit of time, every bit of effort on behalf of her child, but yet that sacrifice, no matter what it is, may not bring the healing to that child that is desired. Humanly speaking, that's a possibility. You could not doubt her sacrifice, but we could say that the effectiveness of her sacrifice was such that it didn't do what she intended to do. And in fact, that mother could maybe in sorrow in her heart wonder, what do I have to show for my sacrifice? I lost my money, I lost my time, I lost my dreams, and I lost my child. And so we could look at that mother and say, wow, we don't doubt your sacrifice, but we sorrow to say that yet because despite the great sacrifice you made, your sacrifice was not effective. And there are situations that are like that. You might have experienced something like that. I, I don't know today. And that's a sad thing. But may I tell you today that when Jesus made that sacrifice on the cross, it's not just he made a great sacrifice, but what could it do? Well, he did much, but what did it end up producing? No, when we look at Jesus, we realize there are two immutable truths. That one, he made the greatest sacrifice that was ever made. That God himself hung on a cross for wicked men. No, God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Despite our condition, he died for us. And so we can look at that sacrifice and say no greater sacrifice has ever been made and will ever be made than the Son of God hanging on the cross for you and me. But yet, I rejoice to tell you this morning that not only did he make the greatest sacrifice of all, but his sacrifice was effective. That because of the sacrifice that was made, because of what he did on the cross, you and I, who had no hope of eternity, that the only hope we had was the hope to look forward to a devil's hell. But no, because of the gospel, because of what he did on the cross, the sacrifice was effective. And because of that, you and I can be saved today. That there's some of us here that know who we are, that know what we were. But we know this, because of what Jesus did on the cross, it's effective. And you say, well, what proof do you have? Well, I'd offer you probably dozens of people around here as proof of what Jesus Christ can do to a life. Because I tell you this, years ago, if we all knew each other before Jesus Christ, I have a feeling we wouldn't all be sitting together in the same place. And we wouldn't have been getting along. But what happened? Jesus. Jesus. His sacrifice was effective. He was victorious in his sacrifice. Revelation 1, 18. I am he that liveth and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. Meaning this, so be it. It is true. But his sacrifice wasn't just uh, victorious. It was effective. 1 Corinthians 15, verses 54 and 55. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, and this mortal shall have put, off immort or put on immortality, then shall he be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? I can tell you one of my greatest joys as a pastor is to preside over the home going of someone who knows Jesus Christ as their Savior. Not that there's joy in the loss in this life, because certainly there's great sorrow, but to know that there's hope that we'll meet each other again. And that's what Jesus did on the cross, that we could say that someone who knows Jesus Christ as their Savior will meet him again, and that you can have that same assurance in your own life today. 
today because of what Jesus did on the cross. Do you know Jesus Christ as your Savior today? Do you know that you're going to heaven? Oh, friend, that's what Jesus did. He wants you to know that you're going to heaven someday. He wants you to know the gospel message. You say, Pastor, what is the gospel message? Well, it's that you're a sinner. Say, Pastor, why are you telling me this? Because you got to know. And I'll be honest with you, you don't need me to tell you. You knew that anyway. We're sinners. We break the Ten Commandments. We break God's law. We violate the holiness of God. Sure, you say, well, I don't do it much. It doesn't matter how much you do it. Just like it doesn't matter how much poison uh, uh, you drink. You drink it. It's not good. Well, I mean, it's just a little poison, Pastor. Well, tell me how that works. In fact, don't tell me how that works. So be careful how I say that or someone's going to, like, don't challenge me on that. No, it's, and sin is poison. Sin is poison. That's what it does. But you know what the remedy is? The blood of Jesus Christ that can make a dirty, rotten soul clean and whole again. What do we do? We repent of our sin. Lord, I give that sin to you to nail on the cross because I don't want it anymore. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to turn in faith to Jesus Christ. I don't want the old way. I don't want the old paths. I don't want the broad way. No, no, what I want is the narrow way that comes through Jesus Christ. Not by my own works, not by my baptism, not by my, my, my taking of the Eucharist, not by being a good person, not by donating the money to the church, uh, not by feeding the poor. Although those things don't necessarily have to be bad things. But those aren't things that save you. What it is, is it's just shoveling around deck chairs on the Titanic while it's going down. No, the only thing that we can do is appeal to Jesus Christ. I am the way, the truth, and the life. He said, no man, no man, nobody cometh unto the Father but by me. It's like I told you a few weeks ago that the, the pastor I, I talked to not long ago said that someone told him, he said, you know, pastor, you and I, you know, it's, heaven's like going to the post office. You know, you take this road and I take that road, but we'll get to the post office. And the pastor said, there's only one problem. Uh, heaven's not a post office. Heaven is heaven. And we have to get there God's way, uh, not our own way, not through our own mental acuity or our own uh, belief system or, or, or it's what God says. You say, well, that's very exclusive. No, it's very inclusive because as we just saw, he calls all. He beckons all to come and to heed the gospel message. So we see Jesus loved and that's why he died. Number two, he died that we might live. And number three, here's what I want us to focus on this morning. We live for he who died. Why are we to be servants? Because we live for he who died. Look at verse number 15 again. And that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves. Who is he talking about? Us. So what do we not do anymore? We're not supposed to live unto ourselves. But unto him which died for them and rose again. Now, Sometimes we're told that the King James Bible is confusing, and I understand sometimes that it can be, but I see it seems pretty clear here that we're not to live for ourselves anymore, but we live unto him who died and rose again. Well, who's the one who died and rose again? It's Christ. And so what do we do in our life? We are to live not unto our own methods and not unto our own service, not unto our own self-pleasure, but we live unto him, the one who made the sacrifice. Well, I can't, well, you know, why would I, can I, how much can I sacrifice? What can I do? Well, well, we see this. 
Christ made the greatest sacrifice, so we should be able to sacrifice ourselves. That they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. And this verse harkens back to the two points we just made. It ties them all together. That Jesus loved and that's why he died, and he died that we might live. So henceforth, if we're alive, then we live for the one who did those things in the first place. And if you're not sure about that, just go back to verse number 14. For the love of Christ constraineth us, because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead. The love of Christ constraineth us. And again, we see in our King James here, this word constraineth. And sometimes that, that could cause some difficulty there. And I don't want to belittle that, that it could be difficult. That you look at constraineth, and I don't know about you, but constraineth is not a word that I use in conversation every day, especially with the F at the end, constraineth. But we would look at the word constrain, and we say, what does that mean? Well, at first, we would say, well, it means to hold something back. But actually, that's the word restrain. Constrain believe it or not, is the antonym. It's exactly the opposite. In fact, it means to compel. It means to urge forward. I'm not making this up. To urge forward with an irresistible power. That's what it means. Okay. There was a time in my life where I drove. You say, why are you coming down here? Because I'm trying to see what time it is. All right, good. Oh, I got plenty of time. All right. Brother Rick's my favorite person. He's blocking the clock. That's great. So uh, you're, doing, you're doing the work of the ministry, Brother Rick. Thank you. Um, there was a time in my life where I drove a bus for, the, for uh, Westgate down in Tampa, the, the ministry I was serving in. This, this shuttle bus, a 30-passenger bus. Um, I got my CDL. I drove the bus. You know what really frustrated me about this bus? It had a governor. If you know what a governor is, you say, yeah, Beacon Hill. No, no, I'm talking about on a, an engine. Uh, the idea is, is that the bus can only go a certain speed, and it was 65 miles an hour. And, you know, we were trying to get back from three basketball games in one night, and we had a two-hour drive back to Tampa, and I knew I was going to teach the next day. You know what I didn't want on that bus? A governor. You know why? It restrained me. It held me back. I want to go faster, and it didn't matter how deep I pushed that pedal. It wasn't going any faster. If you've ever driven something with a governor, you understand it can get very frustrating, where I know some of you have gotten around governors uh, at times or two, and if you need... No, I'm not going to name names. Uh, but uh, <laughs> they're... See me after church if you need help. But anyway, uh, these governors, but they're there typically for safety. You know, you know what you don't want your bus driver doing? Taking your kids home at 85 miles an hour because he's got to teach the next day. So that governor's there to keep everybody safe. That's restraineth. Constraineth is this. It's not a governor. It's nitro. You're driving and you need a boost. You push that button and all of a sudden... You're off. You're propelled forward. Have you ever been in a car where they hit that extra gear or where they hit the nitro or whatever it may be, however you want to look at it? When you think you're going fast and all of a sudden this vehicle proves it can go even faster than you thought, and you're thinking, this is nice. This is good. You know what that is? That's constraineth. No, restraineth the governor. It holds back. Constraineth means this. I'm being propelled forward by something that I cannot see. So why should we serve other people? Why should we help other people? Because the love of Christ, now listen, the love of Christ, he died on the cross for you and me so that we might live, that self-sacrificial love. We are to serve other people because the love of Christ 
propels us. It pushes us forward. It, it, it's the nitro. It's what we need to be able to go forward because here's the dirty secret about service. We don't like serving each other a lot of times. And we certainly don't like serving the world. You know why? Because serving other people costs time. It costs money. And to be honest with you, you serve some people and there's no reciprocal back in the sense. Sometimes you serve people, they don't even thank you. And you're done and you're like, well, what was the point of that? Like, do I even care? Do I even do anything? I mean, I'm trying to help this guy out. You know, I let the guy turn, and he didn't even wave at me. By the way, can I just help you for a second? If someone lets you out, you give them a wave, all right? Give them a wave, all right? You wave at them, they wave back. That's just the way it works. But there are times I'll wave at people, I'll let them through. They would have sat there for 10 hours trying to get out. I could take you right on 106 in West Bridgewater, where you can do this almost every day. And I'll let somebody out, and they pretend like, like the traffic ferry, just let them out. <laughs> and I'll be honest with you, Jamie, it bugs me. It bothers me. No, no, don't, don't, there's no confession, all right? You're not Catholic anymore, all right? So there's no, don't, don't confess, but I'm just saying. <laughs> but I appreciate the, uh, the, the backing me up there. It bothers me. It bothers me. But you know what? But do you know why we serve? Not to get the attaboy. Not because we do it because they'll even appreciate it. You know what constrains us, propels us? It's the love of Christ. You know why? Because if you do it for other people, it will only discourage you. Well, the pastor didn't recognize me. I, I did something at church and nobody cared. Uh, I, I helped someone out here. I, I, I gave him grocery money. Or I, you know what? I, I, I went out of my way to be a blessing to them, and they didn't even write me a card. They didn't say thank you. And by the way, I'm not excusing. You know, we should be thankful and grateful when someone does something nice for us. But let's be honest, not everybody does that. And if we only do it for the attaboy, if we only do it because we're getting that in return, you know what we're going to do? We're not going to serve. Paul said this, the more I love, the less I am loved. You know what he did? The more Paul ministered, the more trouble he got into. But every step that he went forward, and he went forward a lot of steps. There were no Ubers, there was no cars, there was no Nitro, there was no any of that. There were no governors uh, that called him back. There was no conveyances other than ships uh, that they would have taken and, and animals. Uh, but every step that he took was propelled not by, I bet that church is going to take care of me in the next town that I go to. I bet there's going to be a group of believers that they're going to be a blessing to me. No, no, he went places where there was nobody to help him. There was no church. He had no money, and he was making tents late into the night and then trying to compel people to Christ in the streets the next day. But you know what pushed him forward? It was this, the love of Christ constrained him. And that's why we serve, because the love of Christ. And I'll put it to you this way. If that's not good enough for you, then you'll never serve. If the love of Christ isn't good enough for you, what better propellant, propellant could we have? Not repellent, propellant could we have than the love of Christ? So what do we do? We look to Christ. What did Christ do? Christ served the woman at the well when he was hungry. He served her anyway. Christ served the multitudes in Mark 6, even though I believe he was weary in his body. Christ served Lazarus. He rose him from the dead despite his own personal sorrow in John chapter 11. Do you remember where it says Jesus wept? And I believe he wept not because he was sorry for Lazarus. He knew he was about to raise him up again. But he was sorry at the unbelief that he saw there by all those people. And despite his own personal sorrow, he says this, I'm going to serve anyway. Christ served his mother on the cross at a time of excruciating pain 
when he saw his mother there, he, he looked at her and he said, Woman, behold thy son. And son, behold thy mother, as he basically took John, his disciple, and told him, You be the caretaker of my mother. He didn't have to do that on the cross, but in the, as he carried the sins of the whole world, he was serving his mother. Christ served us on the cross despite extreme thirst, bodily fatigue. I mean, that, that word doesn't even cover it. I believe his body was going through something that maybe no human body has ever gone through for that extended period of time, not to mention the spiritual weight laid upon him as he took on the sins of the whole world. So what an example we have of love. So what do we do with this? You've likely seen these verses before, but I think it's important we look at them ourselves as we close. Philippians chapter 2. Will you turn there, please? Philippians chapter number 2. And I'll say the words that some of you were waiting for for the last hour. In conclusion, of course, in Philippians chapter 3, Paul says, finally, my brethren, he's only halfway through the book of the of Philippians, so, you know, there's no guarantee when I say finally. But anyway, Philippians chapter 2. Christ is the example of service. His love propels us forward. It constrains us. It does not restrain us. It constrains us. The antonym, the opposite, it constrains us. So what do we do? Philippians chapter 2, look at verse number 5. Let this mind be in you. You, you know who that is? That's you. Let this mind be in you which is also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, meaning this, that he, he was God in the flesh, but made himself of no reputation and took upon the form of a, all right, the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. And I finished that text by repeating the first verse, and let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. He was a servant. He humbled himself. What do we do? Who are we not to be the servant that God's called us to do? What does this mean? If you're hurting, find a way to serve. When you're down emotionally, find a way to serve. When you think you're at the end of your resources, find a way to serve. When you're tired, both physically, emotionally, mentally, uh, find a way to serve. When, when you're elder in your years and you feel like you can't serve anymore, find a new way to serve that maybe is different, that your body will allow you to do. But what I'm saying is serve. And again, I'm not just talking about signing up for a ministry here at Liberty Baptist Church. No, no, this is so much greater than that. Service uh, to mankind and service to our fellow brethren and service to those who are in the world is so much bigger than being in a ministry, than being a Sunday school teacher or singing uh, in an ensemble or or being a greeter or working at the sound booth. No, it's greater than that. Uh, it can be small. It could be getting someone a cup of coffee, uh, paying for the person that's behind you or in front of you at Dunkin' Donuts. It, it could be letting someone first in line when you're at the checkout. Someone seems like they're in a hurry, uh, just smiling at them and being an encouragement, making someone cookies, sending someone a text, uh, just being a blessing. Uh, be honest with you, it's so much greater than just serving a church. It's finding a way to help someone in their time of need.
I'll be honest with you, there's a lot of people who are in time of need. You say, well, I don't know someone who's in need. Well, you help somebody, you'll probably find out later that they were in need. There are people that have done things for me in the past, and I will say something like this, you don't know how much I needed that. And they didn't. Well, what is that? It's the love of Christ. The selfless love, the love of Christ that constrained them. If Christ lived and loved and died for us, and if he died for us that we might live, then why are we alive? Henceforth, we are living to be able to serve he who died for us. It's a different way of living. That's why it says in verse number 17, that you're a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. I'll give you this example. On Monday, about 6 p.m., Easton Fire Department, Easton Police Officers, and also, I believe, Sharon as well, were dispatched to Borderland State Park. Did anybody hear about this? There was a woman that was caught for three days in the mud and the muck and the mire. This is national news. It was the New York Times, the Boston Globe, national news story. She was stuck inside. She was stuck inside. Well, I'm getting there, Peter. So she was stuck in the bog, and we don't, we don't know all the details, but she was in, and she couldn't get out. And it's, I imagine one of those places where the more you try to get out, the deeper you get in. Here's what I know, the, and there's a lot we don't know. This is what I do know, that Chief Boone, our police chief here in town, said this. Three Eastern police officers stood at the bank and heard a voice. And you know what they did? They jumped in. I would call that reckless abandon. You know what they didn't do? They didn't say, hey, grab a stick and let's see how deep this is. You know what they didn't do? They didn't say, well, uh, let's call an environmental survey team in here and find out what's next. Let's call the EPA and see if we're allowed to be able to go in a place like this. Let's call OSHA and make sure uh, that we have the clearance to be able to go in. They thought nothing of themselves, went into the bog, and she's alive today because they thought very little of themselves and they thought much of her. Now listen, when I talk about service, I'm not saying that you shouldn't take care of yourself, that you have to serve 24-7, never stopping, never. No, no, I believe being a good steward of the body and the life that God's giving you is important. If you want to serve for a long time as the Lord allows, it means taking care of yourself. There are times that you have to relax. There are times you have to rest. And and I understand that. And I'm not trying to say that we live this 24-7 life where you're constantly pouring out and you never replenish. If you do that, you're not going to serve for long. You have to be a good steward of this temple, this tabernacle that God's given you. But this is what I know. As I, there's a woman that lives in Stoughton that's really glad that there were three officers who were serving. That didn't care about the details, but they were going in no matter what. Now, if that's true about someone's life, how much more true should that be about someone's spiritual life? Because there are people that are out there that are stuck in the bog of sin that need someone to rescue them, someone to help them. And that might start by you just being a friendly Christian and a kind and compassionate Christian. They may never take a track from you. They may never hear the gospel, but they may open up just because you were a believer who was kind and loving, a servant. The world doesn't serve. The world takes. The world takes and takes and once they take everything they can from you, they discard you, and they take from someone else. A Christian is different, because what do we do? 
the love of Christ propels us to serve other people. Well, I'm tired. Well, the love of Christ will propel you. I'm weary. The love of Christ will propel you. I don't think I can do it. The love of Christ will propel you. You and I must be servants of his. And if you don't know Jesus Christ, your Savior today, you can't be a servant of his till you belong to him. And what you need to do today is trust Jesus Christ, your Savior, to, to, to repent of that sin and say, I, I want to start a new life. And then you can take verse 17 to be your own, that you're a new creature. Old things are passed away. You have a fresh start in Jesus Christ today because of that love that he gave to us. Thank you for listening to this sermon from the pulpit of Liberty Baptist Church. If this message was a blessing to you, or if there's any way we can serve you, please let us know by contacting us at info at mylibertybaptist.org, or you can visit us this Sunday at 800 Washington Street in Easton, Massachusetts. May the Lord bless you as you grow in his word.